0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the November 6th edition of the Work Comp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd Scaren and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A large group of U.S. states accused key players in the generic drug industry of a broad price fixing conspiracy, moving on to widen an earlier lawsuit to add many more drug makers and medicines. The lawsuit, brought by the Attorneys General of 45 states and the District of Columbia, accused 18 companies and subsidiaries and named 15 medicines. It also targeted two individual executives, Rajiv Malik, President and Executive Director of Myland NV, and Satish Mehta, CEO and Managing Director of India's M-Cure Pharmaceuticals. The state said the drug makers and executives divided customers for their drugs among themselves, agreeing that each company would have a certain percentage of the market. And the companies sometimes agreed on price increases in advance. Melek and Meta allegedly spoke directly to one another to agree on their company's shares of the market for a delayed release version of a common antibiotic, doxycycline Hyclate. The Connecticut Attorney General, who is leading the case, said that price fixing is systematic, it is pervasive, and that a culture of collusion exists in the industry. The original complaint filed in December targeted Mylan, Heritage, Arbino Pharma USA, Inc., Citron Pharma, LLC, Maine Pharma USA, Inc., and Tiva Pharmaceuticals USA, Inc., the states are pressing a new complaint that would add Novartis AG's unit, Sandoz, India-based Sun Pharmaceutical Industries Limited, Endo Pharmaceuticals PLC's unit, Par Pharmaceuticals, Dr. Reddy's Laboratories, Apotex Corporation, Glenmark Generics Limited, Lynette Company Incorporated, Alcom Laboratories Limited unit, Ascend Laboratories and Cadilla Healthcare Limited's unit, Zytus Pharmaceuticals Incorporated. The original lawsuit centered on just two medicines delayed release, dioxiline and gliburide. The price of diloxidine rose from $20 for 500 tablets to $1,849 between October 2013 and May 2014. The omitted complaint would expand the number of drugs to include glipizide metformin and gliburide metformin, which are among the most commonly used diabetes treatments. An attorney representing a majority of 66 counties and cities nationwide that have lawsuits filed against opioid distributors accused of fueling a national drug epidemic has requested the cases be consolidated into a multi-district litigation and heard before one judge. The motion said all 66 cases filed in 11 districts nationwide make similar claims and consolidation would create better cohesion and efficiency as the cases move forward against the big three distributors, McKesson Corporation, Cardinal Health, and Amerisource Bergen Drug Corporation. Various pill manufacturers are also named in various lawsuits, including Purdue, Teva, Cephalon, Janssen, Endo, Activis, and Malincrod. The original allegations made at the beginning of 2017 started a rippling effect of cases being filed across the nation. Currently, lawsuits are pending in federal courts in West Virginia, Illinois, Alabama, California, Kentucky, Ohio, New Hampshire, Tennessee, and Washington. The cities and counties allege drug firms breached their duty to monitor, detect, investigate, refuse, and report suspicious orders of prescription opiates coming into the states over the past several years. The lawsuits claim the companies have this duty under the Controlled Substances Act of 1970. The 66 lawsuits claim the businesses were negligent in creating a public nuisance and participated in corrupt practices. The economic burden of prescription opioid misuse alone is $78.5 billion a year, including the cost of health care, lost productivity, addiction treatment, and criminal justice expenditures. Lawyers argued the best location for the cases to be heard would be Ohio because of its central and easily accessible location, underutilized court system, and because it is one of the hardest-hit areas represented in all of the lawsuits. And now our crime report a former resident of Aliso Viejo who submitted fraudulent bills to insurance companies that sought well over $8 million for tests and services that were never performed was just sentenced to 97 months in federal prison. 40-year-old Michael Miranda was also ordered to pay just over $3 million in restitution. At the conclusion of his hearing, the federal judge called the defendant, totally unrepentant as he remanded Mirando into custody. Miranda was found guilty in May of 15 counts of health care fraud following a one-week trial. The federal jury deliberated for less than 30 minutes before issuing its verdicts. The evidence showed that Mirando was an owner of Holter Labs LLC, which Provided cardiac monitoring services using an ambulatory electrocardiography device known as a Holter recorder. He defrauded dozens of private insurance companies by submitting millions of dollars in claims for services that were never performed. Brando handled most of Holter Labs' business activities, including purchasing the Holter recorders, advertising, managing the company's finances, and submitting the medical claims to the patient's insurance companies. Holter Labs was based in Laguna Niguel until Mirando moved the company to Portland in 2012. Holter Labs provided the Holter recorder to physicians who prescribed the devices to monitor patients' heart rates for one or two days. Mirando then billed the patient's insurance companies for the prescribed 24- or 48-hour tests, but he also submitted bills for services never ordered, such as 30-day tests, and for services the device could not perform, such as brain scans and oxygen studies. Mirando submitted tens of thousands of claims to health insurance companies, some of which were for services legit- legitimately performed, but Mirando also submitted bills for services that doctors never ordered, patients never received, and that the Holter devices never performed and, in many cases, were incapable of performing. The trial judge signed a preliminary order of forfeiture for his residence in Portland, Oregon, after Miranda admitted that he purchased his house with proceeds generated by the fraud. The case against Miranda was investigated by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. John Kapoor, the billionaire founder of Insys Therapeutics, Inc., was arrested and charged with leading a nationwide conspiracy to profit by using bribes and fraud to cause the illegal distribution of a fentanyl spray known as subsys, which is intended for cancer patients experiencing breakthrough pain. Following the arrest, 74-year-old Kapoor has resigned from the company's board of directors. Kopor was arrested in Arizona and charged with RICO conspiracy. RICO is the uh, Racketeering Influence Corrupt Organizations Act, as well as other felonies, including conspiracy to commit mail and wire fraud and conspiracy to violate the anti-kickback law. The superseding indictment also includes additional allegations against several former NCIS executives, and managers who were initially indicted in December 2016. The superseding indictment charges that Kapoor and other company officials conspired to bribe practitioners in various states, many of whom operated pain clinics, in order to get them to prescribe a fentanyl-based pain medication. Prosecutors allege that the practitioners wrote large numbers of prescriptions for the patients, most of whom were not diagnosed with cancer in exchange for bribes and kickbacks. The indictment also alleges that Kapoor and the six former executives conspired to mislead and defraud health insurance providers who were reluctant to approve payments for the drug when it was prescribed for non-cancer patients. They achieved this goal by setting up the reimbursement unit, which was dedicated to obtaining prior authorization directly from insurers and pharmacy benefit managers. The special agent in charge of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Boston Field Division, said these executives created a corporate culture at Insys that utilized deception and bribery as an acceptable business practice. The DWC has suspended three more medical providers from participating in California's workers' compensation system, bringing the total number of providers suspended this year to 52. The three include Byung Chun David Min of Irvine, who pled guilty in April 2016 to health care fraud and illegal kickbacks. Min was the co-owner and operator of Glory Rehab Team, Incorporated which also operated as Dream Hospital and Daesung Clinic in Orange County. He was involved in an illegal kickback scheme referring Medicare beneficiaries to co-schemers Marlon Sango, Joseph Sales, and Daniel Goyena, knowing that they would bill Medicare for services that were never provided. Also, Sujan Thayadjad of Roswell, New Mexico, a physician whose medical license was summarily suspended in New Mexico in March of 2016 was suspended after criminal charges were filed against him for sexual assault on a patient was suspended. The Medical Board of California revoked his physician and surgeon's license in September 2016 and was suspended from the medical program in August 2017. And finally, the third suspension was Rhonda Singleton of Los Angeles, the owner of substance abuse treatment facility Singleton House Project. She pled no contest in Los Angeles County Superior Court in January 2017 to grand theft of the California Healthcare Deposit Fund. Singleton was suspended from Medi-Cal in August. AB 1244, which went into effect January 1, requires the division's administrative director to suspend any medical provider, physician, or practitioner from participating in the workers' comp system under certain circumstances as those above. And in regulatory news, the DWC has posted updates to the evidence-based treatment guidelines of the Medical Treatment Utilization Schedule. The updates are effective for medical treatment services rendered after December 1, 2017. They are the American College of Occupational and Environment Medicines, that's ACOMS, most recent treatment guidelines to the General Approaches, Clinical Topics, and Special Topics Section of the MTUS. The administrative order was published one month before its effective date, to give the public, especially treating physicians and utilization review physicians, 30 days to prepare before these evidence based updates become effective. The most recent ACOM guidelines ensure that the MTUS contains the most recent, state of the art, current evidence based recommendations. The administrative order consists of the Order and Two Addendum. Addendum 1 shows the regulatory amendments directly related to the evidence-based updates to the MTUS, and Addendum 2 contains hyperlinks to the updated ACOM guidelines adopted and incorporated into the MTUS by reference. Since the ACOM guidelines contain proprietary content, a commercial license from Reed Group the publisher of the ACOM guidelines is required when physicians and entities use the MTUS for commercial purposes. Insurance Commissioner Dave Jones adopted and issued a revised advisory pure premium rate lowering the benchmark to $1.94 per $100 of payroll for workers' compensation insurance effective January 1, 2018. This is 17.1% less than the average pure premium rate of $2.34 California insurers filed as of July 1, 2017. The decision results in an advisory pure premium that is $0.02 below the $1.96 average rate recommended by the WCIRB in its filing. Jones issued the advisory pure premium rate three weeks after a public hearing and careful review of the testimony and evidence that was submitted. His adoption is only advisory as the commissioner has no rate authority over workers' compensation insurance. The WCIRB's pure premium advisory rate filing demonstrated continued decreases in costs in California's workers' compensation insurance market. Insurers' net costs in the workers' compensation system continued to decline as a result of SB 863, SB 1160, and AB 1244 enacted by the legislature and signed into law by Governor Brown. The WCIRB notes continued favorable medical loss development, including acceleration in claims settlement. The WCIRB will evaluate workers' compensation insurance costs again in the summer, and fall of next year when it files its next pure premium rate benchmark recommendation with the Department of Insurance. That filing will provide an opportunity to assess whether medical costs continued to be lower and what changes, if any, there will be in other costs in the system. Assemblyman Tom Daly plans to introduce legislation to Eliminate any ambiguity in the law after Orange County rejected workers' compensation claims last week from four of its deputies injured in the Las Vegas mass shooting. Daly believes California law already requires cities and counties to pay those benefits. But Orange County Council Leon Page believes the state's labor code clearly forbids benefit payments for injuries off-duty for officers sustained outside of California, while officials in Los Angeles County say state law is vague on this issue. If Daly's proposal becomes law, it could put taxpayers on the hook for additional bills for long-term medical care and disability payments for these injured officers. More than 200 California police officers were attending a country music show on October 1, when Stephen Paddock fired into the festival crowd, killing 58 people and wounding more than 500 others. During the shooting, many of those officers shifted to police mode, even though they were in Las Vegas, helping people to safety, performing CPR, and assisting local authorities who were trying to secure the area. Some California officers were shot while responding, and others say they have developed PTSD from the incident. Since then, jurisdictions that employ those injured officers, including Los Angeles, Riverside, San Bernardino, and Orange Counties, have faced questions about whether they are required or even allowed to pay for the long-term benefits. The state's labor code is clear that police officers are owed workers' compensation benefits if they intervene in a crime anywhere in California while off-duty and become injured. Daly's bill, which he could introduce before the end of the year, will ask the legislature to clarify that the existing law also covers out-of-state, off-duty incidents. Orange County Supervisor Todd Spitzer believes Daly's legislation could apply retroactively to help the officers injured in Las Vegas if the bill seeks only to clarify the intent of the current law rather than to change it or create a new law. Los Angeles County is considering whether to grant or deny claims by two sheriff's deputies shot at the festival, and a county official said he expects the issue to result in litigation. In San Bernardino County, which employs 11 deputies who attended the festival, including Sergeant Brad Powers, who was shot in the leg in Las Vegas, the deputies union has initiated talks with the sheriff's department to advocate that powers be treated as an on-duty injury. The Orange County Board of Supervisors is scheduled to consider a resolution towards creating a policy to provide paid time off for off-duty employees who are wounded while trying to save lives in out-of-state mass casualty events. And in medical news, a new study published in Regional Anesthesia and Pain Medicine concluded that a minimally invasive procedure called cooled radiofrequency ablation, CRFA, provides better pain reduction and functional improvement compared to steroid injection for patients with osteoarthritis of the knee. The study demonstrates that CRFA is an effective long-term therapeutic option for managing pain and improving physical function and quality of life when compared to intra-articular steroid injection. Knee osteoarthritis is a common and painful condition in older adults. Knee replacement surgery is an established option for patients with advanced osteoarthritis, but is not appropriate for all patients because of age or health status. Even patients who have knee replacement may have ongoing pain despite a mechanically satisfactory prosthesis. Intraarticular, which means within the joint, steroid injections is commonly performed but provides only short-term pain relief. In addition, steroids may have adverse effects on cartilage over time. Cooled radiofrequency ablation is performed on an outpatient patient's with local anesthesia and minimal sedation. And in other industry news, the proposed merger between U.S. pharmacy operator CVS Health Corporation and number three health insurer Aetna Incorporated represents a $66 billion bet that insurers can drive down high U.S. drug prices by cutting out the drug middlemen. The move is the most expensive effort to date that would enable a national health insurer to take back full control of prescription medicines for their customers by negotiating prices with pharmaceutical manufacturers and setting customer out-of-pocket costs for each drug. It could take at least several weeks for any deal to materialize. If the deal happens, it would likely pressure rival insurers, drug makers, pharmaceutical benefit managers, and retail pharmacies to also consider mergers or switching partners to try to keep up with the potential healthcare cost savings or increase in profit margins. For years, insurers paid drug benefit managers like CVS and Express Script Holdings Company to negotiate down drug prices with both parties taking a share of any discount by the time a medicine was paid for by consumers. But outrage over the high cost of drugs has grown, as customers have picked up a larger portion of the tab for drug costs and its threatening profit margins all along the drug supply chain, from manufacturers to distributors, insurers, and pharmacies. United Health Group Incorporated and Humana Incorporated currently have in-house pharmacy benefit businesses and say that it has helped them to keep medical costs down. Anthem Incorporated recently decided to go down that same path. It cut ties with Express Scripts during a $3 billion legal fight and said it would use CVS to build its own pharmacy benefits businesses in the next few years. That tie-up could now be at risk if CVS reaches a deal to buy Aetna. CVS also provides management services for Aetna rival, Cigna. If CVS buys Aetna, that could revive Cigna's interest in buying Humana. Aetna earlier this year closed the door on a deal with rival insurer Humana Incorporated after antitrust regulators said that combination and a rival deal between Anthem Incorporated and Cigna Corporation were anti-competitive. Over the past decade, health insurers have diverged on the value of the pharmacy benefits business. Anthem sold its pharmacy benefits manager to Express Scripts and outsourced almost all of the business in 2010. UnitedHealth took the opposite approach when it decided in 2011 to bring its pharmacy benefits management in-house, then bought an even bigger standalone benefits manager, Catamaran in 2015. Humana operates its own pharmacy benefits manager and Cigna and Aetna have hybrid approaches where they manage some parts in-house and outsource others. Another potential lure of a deal for Aetna would be to capitalize on the growing number of simple health services offered in a CVS store from flu shots to blood pressure checks. Reimbursing such patient care outside of a doctor's office or hospital could cut healthcare costs in general. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.